Welcome to the Sci-Fi Reading Series Podcast. I'm science fiction author Kate Sheeran-Swed, and every week I read two chapters from one of my books. This is season one, and I'm reading from Chaos Zone, the first book in the Parse Galaxy space opera series. Make sure to scroll on back to the first episode in the season if you need to get caught up. Stick around after the chapters for exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary. Let's get on with this week's episode. Chapter 17 Gareth had made an assumption. He saw that now, the reflection of his carelessness in Sloane's expression. The woman might have shown an ounce of shame for her deception, but she just looked back at him with that cool, wide-eyed stare, the same one she'd used on him when they'd met at that ball on Anro Moon. The same one that kept working, while he kept trying to make excuses for her to understand why she'd left her life on Elter to take up her criminal uncle's legacy. The woman certainly didn't shy away from muddy planets or complicated engine rooms, or unapproved bounty postings, apparently, yet she also didn't seem like she particularly wanted to do any of it. What was her goal? Some part of him kept reaching for explanations, blackmail, threats, or dangerous debt, but looking into her face now, he wondered if it was just part of who she was. With difficulty, Gareth forced his focus away from Sloane to settle his gaze on Stryker. This might be his only chance to meet with a coordinator. The Federation might have opened its doors to the moneymaker, but this place was notoriously unwelcoming, especially to the fleet. Ultimately, it didn't matter that Sloane had deceived him. She'd still held to their deal, and Gareth wouldn't be the one to blow it. And yet, instead of confronting the coordinator with a larger issue at hand, Gareth found himself stuck on the subject of the unapproved bounty. "'Osmond Clay asked me to retrieve Jackson Bellow,' he said. "'Are you saying he tried to get around the Federation, too?' Stryker waved a hand, his rings ticking with the flutter of his fingers. "'Of course. We'd never have allowed an assassination attempt.' "'Wouldn't they, though?' Gareth wasn't so sure.' "'You really should look into these things ahead of time, Fortune,' Sloane said. "'She still looked like she didn't care, but there was a raw edge to her voice that he hadn't heard before. "'Maybe she did know she shouldn't have lied. "'And she wasn't wrong, either. "'Clay might have sent the fleet on his little errand without Federation approval. "'The fleet hardly needed to go begging to Stryker to conduct their own operations.' But Gareth should have at least confirmed that the job Sloane had taken was Federation-approved. How had she even found an unapproved job, and who had posted it? "'It is a problem, and one I hope we can discuss,' Gareth said, "'but it's not why I'm here.'" To Gareth's surprise, Stryker looked to Sloane. "'I can escort the commander back to his ship if you'd like. It's lurking nearby, yes?' Gareth managed to keep his jaw from falling open in surprise, but it was a narrow thing. How could Stryker know about the frigate? Sabre was waiting outside of Atmo, it was true, but unless something had gone wrong with the systems, the ship was back in stealth mode. Maybe Stryker's people had simply caught the battle with the Fox Clan. Maybe he was guessing. Or maybe there was a mole in the fleet. A deal's a deal, Sloane said. Hear him out. If Stryker wanted to toss Gareth out on his ear, he could. 
Not physically, maybe. The man was a stick, but the whole planet was designed to answer to his will. These shiny obsidian walls listened to every word they said, and Gareth wouldn't have been surprised in the least if they were to grow spikes or perhaps shackles. The fleet wasn't the only organization that developed secret tech. He didn't know how Sloane had ended up in this world, but she truly did navigate it as if it belonged to her. And when she spoke, the coordinator nodded and looked to Gareth expectantly. If nothing else, the Federation could respect the terms of a deal. What kind of a mess had he stepped into here? There was no telling, not with the information currently at his disposal. But Gareth needed to keep Aju's system safe and to stop the chaos from spreading. That was the goal, the mission that mattered. He might not need the Federation's cooperation to do it, but he'd be a fool to think their assistance wouldn't help. Stryker spread his hands wide as if an invitation. All right, Commander, enlighten us. Oh, he intended to. He kept his place in the middle of the room about halfway between the door and the seat Sloane had commandeered. His hands were relaxed at his sides, his expression was as neutral as he could make it. That was the key. The Federation has been encroaching on fleet territory, for one, he said, and it's come to my attention that the CTF-approved bounty doesn't hold the same protections as it once did. Commander, be reasonable. Our interests are bound to cross from time to time. Gareth waited a beat. When Stryker didn't address the second complaint, he continued. The Federation cannot send bounty hunters after fleet-classed criminals. It's a clear violation of our operating agreement. I realize that our interests occasionally intersect, but we need to maintain separate areas of jurisdiction. Stryker slid down from the desk and brushed his hands together. The man looked like a walking matchstick with his wiry muscles and that carrot patch of hair. His energy felt coiled, too, as if there were hidden heat beneath every movement he made. Times have changed, Stryker said. That was a handshake agreement made long ago, but it was also before the fleet began taking steps to grab more of the galaxy than you're meant to have. At that, Sloane sat up in her chair, placing her feet flat on the floor. Gareth wanted to shake his head at her, to tell her to sit back, to hide her interest. Stryker didn't need to know that she wanted more information about this particular accusation. Gareth had heard it before, of course. The whispers ran that the fleet had the strongest military in the Parse Galaxy, and that they could clinch their fist around the free worlds in an instant. These whisperers seemed to think the fleet had several hundred more battleships than it actually did. These rumors tended to sprout up in systems that never needed the assistance of a few frigates to redirect an asteroid or discourage an incursion. And they ignored the fact that the fleet kept rigidly to its agreements, no boots on the ground except the three designated spots in Cadence, unless invited, and they answered to the commission. He answered to the commission. If anyone affiliated with the fleet wanted to establish an empire, Gareth had never met them. It didn't mean that person didn't exist, but he kept watch on every ship, every base, every asset. A former fleet officer would have a tough time of it trying to steal or otherwise siphon fleet resources away, a very tough time. It was a big galaxy. Anyone hoping to establish an empire would need the kinds of resources that could never vanish without Gareth's knowledge not if they were supposedly disappearing from the fleet's inventories. And Stryker had to know it. 
This man knew Saber was a wa stalking the space above his planet, and he had the means. If Gareth hadn't found anything that pointed to underhanded fleet operations, then neither had Stryker. But with Sloane sitting on the edge of her chair like that, the coordinator knew he had a captive audience. And you have evidence of our supposed crimes? Gareth asked. Stryker took a step toward him. It's funny, he said, but everyone who managed to capture any evidence has disappeared. At that, Sloane drew in an audible hiss of breath. So, she did have a personal investment in this conversation. And Stryker had to know it. Gareth wished he had access to her direct comms so he could send her a silent message, though he suspected Stryker would see anything he wrote to her anyway. The man was pretending to push Gareth's buttons, but he was actually working her. Why? When Gareth had met, first met Sloane at the fleet ball on Anro Moon, she had been working with her uncle to steal a data key of intelligence out from under his nose. He never knew if she'd been the one to take it, but the key had never been recovered. He'd been forced to receive the reports directly from the spy, which wasn't the usual protocol. The reports had had nothing to do with galactic conspiracies or would-be empires. They'd merely been tracking Federation supply lines. Dry data, really. Gareth hadn't wanted to retrieve it personally at all, especially since it had meant attending a ball, but it was protocol, and protocol mattered. Vincent Tarnish had disappeared, what, a year after that? Not quickly enough that Gareth had ever linked the two events. The man had no doubt angered any number of powerful people in the meantime. Could his disappearance be linked to that data key? Stryker was still watching him, standing almost too close and much too still, like a fox stalking its prey. "'What are you saying, Stryker?' Gareth asked. Stryker leaned forward, crossing the invisible boundary into Gareth's personal space and looking him directly in the eye. "'No, not a fox. The man was a viper.' I'd expect a man of your education to have pieced it together, Commander, but I'm suggesting that the fleet made those people disappear. Gareth didn't look at Sloane. He didn't want Stryker to know that he understood the purpose of this conversation. As far as he knew, the man couldn't hack his thoughts, at least not yet. And in practical terms? Ever the realist, eh, Gareth? First line in the job description. Stryker stared at him for a long moment staying right inside the line of Gareth's personal space. But Gareth had been threatened by more intimidating men than this CTF pretender, and he just stared Stryker down until the man smiled, as if he'd won somehow, and relaxed away, like he'd just been passing through. In practical terms, Stryker said, it means that I no longer feel comfortable leaving any criminals to your jurisdiction. And I'm meant to feel comfortable leaving them in yours? The Commission wasn't going to like that. They weren't going to like it at all. The Fleet and the Federation had a long history of tension, with their goals often at odds, but in the end both organizations worked together. They had to. Stryker stalked to the door and swung it open, even though he could have used a button for that. I've nothing else to say to you, Commander. Will your frigate be sending a pod for you, or shall I arrange one? Gareth wished he'd brought Logger with him, or an entire platoon though he had to concede that their presence wouldn't exactly have lent credence to the fleet's innocence. Now, though, he had no way to resist the clear dismissal without causing a major incident, and yet he hesitated, his gaze drifting over at Sloane before he could catch it. "'I'm fine,' 
She looked toward him, but avoided meeting his eyes. She wasn't buying into the story of Strikers, was she? Or had she already suspected him of abducting her uncle or of murdering him? For some reason, the thought sparked prickles of regret through his ribcage, and he felt his throat tighten. She didn't think he meant to take over the galaxy, did she? He searched her expression, looking for clues, but her eyes were shuttered now. Nothing to show. You should go. She pointed a shaky index finger in his direction, yet still managed to avoid meeting his gaze directly. But you still owe me for ship repairs, don't forget. Gareth wanted to stay, but he had to believe that Sloane could handle herself. This was her world, whether he liked it or not, and she wasn't his responsibility. Not that that little detail had ever stopped him from trying to save someone in the past, but what could he do? She was where she wanted to be, and he couldn't deny that the woman thrived here. If she learned to mask her reactions, she'd be unstoppable. He headed for the door, pausing when he got to Stryker. I wouldn't step into a Federation-run pod if it was my only escape from a planet made of acid. Be careful here, Miss Tarnish. And with that, Gareth slipped out of the coordinator's office and headed back into the city. Chapter 18 Sloane watched as Fortune made his exit, somehow managing to look as if he were still in charge of the interaction, even though it had been Stryker who chased him out. She wasn't entirely sure she understood what history stood between these two, or if they were just jockeying on behalf of their organizations, but she did understand that Stryker had information on Vin, or at least on the data Uncle Vin might have been chasing when he disappeared. It was worth sticking around to find out. Still, she couldn't help staring after Fortune, even once the door closed. Maybe I should follow him, she said. Someone did just try to assassinate him. With Fortune gone, the coordinator's shoulders had relaxed, along with his smile. He made his way to the wall, touching a panel, and stepped back as a fully stocked bar glided out in front of him. He'll get away safety, safely, no worries. His second-in-command sent guards to watch his back, and we allowed it. Not that he had any reason to fear in the first place. The Federation is a civilized place, Miss Tarnish. She adjusted in her seat. The rocky chair was uncomfortable against her legs, and her back was starting to ache. If you're sure. Stryker poured a generous helping of clear liquid into two glasses, dropping a sprig of mint into each with a flourish. She'd have pictured him with one of those robotic bars like the one her father had, but he obviously enjoyed concocting his own drinks. You are right to bring the Capel Bounty to the Federation. We take unapproved postings very seriously. It was kind of an accident, if I'm being honest. A happy one, then. Stryker handed her one of the glasses, and she waited for him to drink before taking a sip of her own. It tasted crisp and lightly citrusy, with a bite on the back of the tongue and a hint of that mint in the finish. Her father would have approved. Come, Stryker said, let me show you the Federation. The fleet's had its time with you, and I should have my chance, too. It was remarkable, really, how the man's body language had shifted. With fortune in the room, Stryker had been a wolf on the hunt, all tense muscles and toothy smiles. Now he was relaxed and easy, a little too charming, a little too smooth. Fortune had hardly needed to warn her as if she had no common sense of her own, but clearly relieved at the commander's absence. Sloane dropped back the rest of her drink and stood. It was a relief to abandon the chair. Let's do it. Instead of taking her out the same way she'd entered, Stryker ushered her through a second exit. 
the door sealed so seamlessly into the wall that she'd never have noticed it, where the decor was much more elaborate than the original entrance hall. It was almost as if the Federation had two entrance halls, and they could choose which they decided to employ. Had the sparse corridor been here for her benefit or for fortunes? Here, paintings graced the walls at wide intervals, giving each canvas a wide margin to show off its brilliance. On the wall opposite to Spryker's office, a canvas stretched to twice her height and three times as wide. It displayed an impossibly green scene, with hills and houses, a lake in the foreground, mountains in the distance. It was almost too beautiful, the light capturing the truth of a summer's day. "'I'm guessing you can name the painter,' Stryker paused beside her, folding his arms, his shoulder brushing against hers as he tilted his head to study the painting. He looked at it like he'd never seen it before. Sloane could understand why. She couldn't look away from it herself. The hallway was wide enough to give her a good vantage, yet she found her feet were drifting closer. She wanted to drink in each cluster of animals, each suggestion of a forest.' It was so realistic, as if riders might come bursting out from between the trees at any moment. I specialized in sculpture. She said it before she could stop herself, before she could consider that she was giving away valuable information about herself. Her voice sounded far away, as if it, too, were coming from the forest, a place for fairy tales. Be careful here, Miss Tarnish. She'd try, though maybe she'd do better to be careful with the fleet. But anyway, what could Stryker possibly do with the information on her background in art? It's early center system, she said. They were obsessed with these pastoral pieces as they moved their terraforming efforts into the middle systems. They liked their idyllic nature scenes. Impressive. She waved a hand in his direction without dropping her gaze from the painting, careful not to touch the canvas by accident. Anyone who's watched a docuvid on early Parse expansion could tell you that much. Oh, I doubt that. Do you have a guess, then, about the particular artist? Sloane leaned forward. The artist had used globs of paint, indicating a wealth of supply. Thin layers were common in the early outer and fringe movements, not that they'd have painted a pastoral scene like this. Anyone living there back then had been too busy trying to survive to spend much time on paintings. The brush strokes here were so obvious that she could follow their pattern across the canvas almost as if she could imagine where the artist had begun and where he'd ended up. "'Something in the Doman school, I think,' she said. "'Doman himself, in fact, an original.' He pointed at her, still smiling. "'Not many people would know that.' Sloane couldn't help wishing that Uncle Vin had had time to teach her something about negotiation. It seemed like Stryker was up to something, like he knew about her interest in art and wanted to use it to distract her or ingratiate himself. But what?' Sloane stepped away from the painting, and Stryker started down the hall. There was a pearlescent archway at the far end, but paintings dotted the walls every few steps, and she could see a pair of sculptures waiting to be investigated. It was as if this hall had been designed specifically to hold her interest. She could be suspicious, or she could enjoy the fact that Stryker was looking at each painting like he loved it as much as she did. She didn't meet many people who cared about art. Just as she slowed again to let her eyes drift along another painting, Stryker spoke again. "'What is it you want, Miss Tarnish?' he asked. "'That was easy. I want the bounty money for Brighton.' 
He chuckled, pausing by a sculpture that was definitely a Vierney, with all that yellow-tinged brass. Stryker ran a finger along the base, and she wanted to yank his hand away. Vierney wasn't her favorite, too loud for her, too chunky, but it was still a priceless piece of art that could be damaged by the oil on his skin. She recognized the irony of that, since she herself had once gone viral on the feeds for hugging a priceless sculpture, but that had been a very specific situation. I mean, what do you want? Stryker said, not from the Federation specifically. Money, she said. Stryker drummed his fingers on the Vierney's base. You don't seem the type to drum up exorbitant gambling fees, though I admit your activities do surprise me regularly. And you must have the resources to pay your tuition or buy a home on any world you'd like. I know who your family is, of course. So what do you need the money for? There wasn't any need to hide it, not really. In fact, there was ample reason to tell him exactly what she was doing bouncing around the galaxy. She'd promised Hilda she'd do everything she could to find Vin, and that meant taking an occasional risk. If Stryker knew a bit more about her than she'd expected, well, she couldn't expect a man with resources to detect invisible fleet ships to be ignorant about her. I need to find my uncle, she said. I have reason to believe he wasn't an outlaw at all and that he worked undercover for the Federation. Yes, Stryker let go of the sculpture and turned to face her. She had to resist the urge to whip out a tissue and clean the spots he'd touched. We've searched for him. We continue to. He's gone, like mist. She licked her lips, that much she knew, but some part of her had expected him to deny Finn's connection to the Federation altogether. I don't have to tell you what I suspect, Stryker said. He didn't have to tell her because he'd essentially accused Fortune himself not ten minutes ago. If Stryker thought she'd missed the way he'd been working her emotions back there, he was dead wrong. His accusations had clearly been designed for her to hear as much as they had been for Fortune. But could Fortune really be responsible for Uncle Vin's disappearance? He'd helped her to fix Moneymaker's engine, teaching her some of the basic mechanics as they'd worked. And he had a sense of humor, too. It was underdeveloped, sure, but it was there. Also, and this really was the key point, Fortune seemed almost too pure. For a man who commanded the only real military force in the galaxy, who'd done so for as long as she could remember, he really did act almost naive at times. I know, he doesn't seem the type so restrained, so proper. Stryker said it as if in response to her thoughts, as if he could read her expressions. Or her thoughts themselves. Maybe there was some merit in Fortune's mask-like blankness. But I assure you, Ms. Tarnish, that he can be as ruthless as any of the deadliest criminals in the galaxy. He is a dangerous man. She thought of the way that fleet frigate had blinked into sight beside Moneymaker. Fortune had lied to her by omission, and he continued to lie when he pretended the fleet had nothing to do with Olten Moon. But hadn't she done the same to him? Fortune certainly had the resources to make Vin disappear. If nothing else, she couldn't rule him out. Stryker had started walking again, and Sloane followed him past another trio of priceless paintings and out into the city, where a blue-green twilight was falling between the towers. Lights glittered on the streets, the blinking signs more inviting than ever as they advertised the city's shows, its clubs, its food. Stryker strode along beside her, his presence much different than the commander's. He was easy and smiling, waving a hand to every other person they passed. 
I would like to offer you a job, Miss Tarnish. She stumbled, and he shot out a hand to steady her. I'm sorry, she said. Do you mean another bounty? No, I mean a job. Believe it or not, most of our people work on salary. He gave her arm a squeeze, then let go. First, though, I'd like to contract you to deliver Brighton to the bounty posters on Halloran. Then come back here, and we'll talk. Sloane was shaking her head. I, I can't. My ship is a mess, and... We're already fixing the ship, free of charge. Our thanks for bringing our attention to the Calcornum mess. And under your pilot's watchful eye, it'll be back to a hundred percent within a day. He stretched out a hand, sweeping his arm out as if to show off the city's glittering lights, as though to take credit for them. Spend the night in the city, visit a club, take it all in. Frake will let you know where you're staying. Tomorrow, take Brighton to Halloran and we'll pay you double the original bounty. They'd double the original bounty? Why? Why would they pay her so much to get Brighton back to a center system? Surely they had other criminals waiting to be extradited to Halloran. Sloane wasn't the best at managing her own finances, but she was pretty sure that this was a waste of money. And why would they hire her, of all people? Don't you have transports for this kind of thing, she said. Stryker's grin widened. Of course we do. Give it some thought, Miss Tarnish. The Federation could use someone like you. Before she could formulate a response or point out that he hadn't answered her question, he tipped her a short bow, spun on his heel, and headed back in the direction of his office. I have a couple of small news items. The first thing I want to say is... I am very sorry if you're listening in real time and you've been watching the channel. I did miss a week in between postings. Um, I had been recording out ahead, so I just, I was out of town and I just, a lot of different things came up with the kids. And so I apologize for not posting last week. I hope that will be the last interruption until, at least until we finish Chaos Zone. Um, the big news this week is that I am launching the Parse Galaxy Special Edition Omnibus um, through Kickstarter this coming Tuesday, as this is being recorded. And um, that's going to be June 13th, 2023. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I'm going to go live on Facebook at 8 p.m. on the 13th, and I will be talking about all the different levels, breaking down all the goodies. There are so many goodies that I'm creating for this Kickstarter campaign, just extras and bonus material, and I'm very excited. So I will drop the link to the kind of live Facebook event down in the show notes, and I hope that you will come and join me. That's the news, and now on to the commentary. <laughs> these chapters are the kind of chapters that are fun to write because you have these... Like, this is one of the reasons I like to write in multiple point of view, because you have Gareth's impression of the conversation with Stryker, and then you have Sloane's impression of the conversation with Stryker, Gareth's worrying about her reaction, she's annoyed that he's worrying about her reaction, and I think that it's becoming clear that she can read him a little more than she thinks that she can. Um, it just gives them both kind of a chance to display some of their flaws and quirks and insecurities and I just think that that is fun to write and it's fun to have that subtext especially when you have someone kind of vibrant and um and who likes to stir things up in the middle like Stryker he you know he clearly is antagonistic but he has this other side to him um and he's very mysterious so I guess that'll be something that you'll find out more about um I like writing Obsidian City I actually am I'm working on book six right now which is Empire Claim and that comes out at the end of July and um, I'm they're going back to Obsidian City for one part of it I think yes they are <laughs> I 
I just did the guy. I just redid my outline. Um, I was talking about my process last time, if you caught the commentary, and I did my whole outline this past week, and then um, I had done it before I went on a writing retreat with my friend, and then on Friday I was like, nope, this just doesn't feel right, uh, and so I threw out the outline and started again, because I knew what I wanted to have happen in this book, but I just wanted to make sure that um, it was happening in the right way and the right structure, so sometimes that does happen. When I was talking about my uh, my outlining, um, here's an example of a time when um, it happens, but it's very helpful because if I listen to my gut, I know as I start writing that this doesn't feel right, this doesn't feel what the character's they're not acting the way they should be acting. They're not making choices they should be acting. And I always have to go back to the characters and kind of center them in who they are. So that is, you know, a challenge kind of related to what I was talking about. I guess it was two weeks ago now. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I have much more to say about these chapters, except that it's always just kind of fun. This is why I like to write in multiple point of views. Um, this, uh, this, this series just has the two point of view, um, uh, in the first, in the prequel novella, and oh, I do have it right here. The prequel novella is Outlaw Rising, and um, her uncle, because it's a prequel, her uncle also has a point of view, um, but most of the time it's Sloane and Gareth. Um, and through the regular books, it's Sloane and Gareth. And then in my superhero series, there are several point of view characters per book. Um, it doesn't, I think the, the most is six in one book, and one of the characters only has a few. In that one, but um, yeah, it ch kind of changes who has them, except for the main characters. So that that's just one of the insights about what I, how I like to write, and I do have some books that are in first person. Those would be the um, Interstellar Trials. I see, I'm <laughs> turned the wrong way. Um, the Interstellar Trials books are right here, and those are my like YA. Um, sci-fi space opera books and those are all in first person and that was a big challenge for me because I usually write in third person I like to have different points of view the third book is the legacy and that actually does have two first person point of view characters and that again was really challenging for me it's just not I like to write in first person usually for short stories that can make them really voicey um, and this was a perfect book to write in first person because it is very voicey and Reggie is very kind of an edgy character morally gray all of that um, and but generally I enjoy it because we get to have this interplay between the characters that the reader knows these things that, that not all the characters in the scene know. So it just makes me really happy and it's fun to write. I hope you enjoyed the reading this week. Please do come join me for the live session on Tuesday the, if you're watching this before it goes out on June 13th and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's reading. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss the next episode. For more information about my books and to join my VIP reader crew, visit katesheeransweb.com.